In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Alright, hello, hello everyone. Today I want to talk about travel and how to be as healthy as you can possibly be while traveling. Not an easy task by any means. I have traveled extensively, though most of that was before I was actually healthy. Before I knew about supplements and gluten and all this stuff. But I do have a lot of tips here that would be relevant to you if you're traveling by plane or car, boat or train, and I'm going to go through it all. Before we start, you can find everything that I do on my website, notusbooks.org. I am in the health business, so most of our stuff is focused on health. We have a bunch of Instagram channels where we're most active, YouTube channels, Rumble for the band stuff, which is becoming an ever longer list these days, as YouTube is constantly taking down our health videos and has permanently demonetized us. You can find all of these channels on my website. You can also find all of the books that I've written and helped publish. Most of them are about health. We've got some other topics in there too. And you can find the free versions of my books in the audiobook section of my website, notusbooks.org. There's also an archive of this podcast on the website. On the archive, you can listen to them for free. There's no ads or anything, and I have no other ads to read to you here. We have no sponsors. You can also download all of these episodes for free on the website, in the archive. And on the archive versions, there's a special treat for you at the end if you listen all the way through. I encourage you to download episodes. I encourage you to share them. You can chop them up and make them into TikTok videos, whatever you want. You always have my permission to use or reuse or repost anything that I've ever done. We want to get this information out there so we can all be healthier. And of course, I am in the health business. I make my living giving health protocols to people. So if you have a health challenge or you know somebody who does or you just want to prevent problems in the future, you can always reach out to me or my team on Instagram especially or to get me directly, you can email me. My email is in the description of this podcast and it's also on my website, notusbooks.org, in the channels section. It's where all the social medias are and my email. There's hundreds of book reviews. I read a lot of books and review them. And on this podcast, I do a lot of deep dives going through those books. But today, this is mostly off the top of my head. And I'll actually also be using 
an appendix in one of my books, Everything You Should Know About Healthy Blood Sugar. I put an appendix there called How to Eat at Restaurants and on the Road. And most of my travel tips are already in there. I've got a few little amendments to make right now for you. And I want to start out here actually with the bad about traveling. You mostly hear about the good. Oh, traveling is so fun. Oh, it's such a wonderful experience. Oh, it helps you grow. And I'm not denying those things. I've had a lot of fun traveling. We just did a little trip to Colorado, my wife and I. And of course, I knew she'd love it. We had a great time. The people were great. She wants to move there, which was the purpose of the trip, to show her Colorado, because I do want to move there myself. Not a big fan of life in Texas. I like the ethos of Texas. I love freedom. And a lot of our customers are from here in Texas, so I don't mean to offend you. Just looking for a different environment. Point is, we had a good time. But it was unhealthy. I know that. I know we have to make compromises on the road, even if they're only minor. Being healthy in this modern environment is already a difficult task. If you do not put effort in, you will be sick. You will develop a disease. It's a guarantee. If you just eat whatever you want from the grocery store and from restaurants and you don't take discernment and discipline in your choices, it will harm you. That's on a regular day in an environment that you're familiar with and comfortable with. Without effort, it will harm you. It takes much more effort and discipline to be healthy on the road. And most of us do make compromises. I'm not going to go eat gluten on the road, but it's very likely that I will have to at some point consume some ingredients that I am not comfortable with. And that's why I wanted to start with the bad here. There's a whole bunch of people, especially a lot of the young people who follow me. My audience is largely young people, especially young men. And a lot of them think that traveling is the greatest thing in the world. Well, I certainly wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't travel. I've lived in five countries on four continents. I've been to so many countries, it's tough to count them. I wouldn't wash away those experiences if I had the choice, but it did nothing good for my health. This is my point here. This is a health-based podcast, most of the episodes, and travel helped me grow, but it did not help me get healthy. And now that I am healthy, I really feel the effects when I go on the road. When you're up at 100% all the time, or you know, let's say 98, 99% all the time, You can definitely feel the difference when you go down to 95 or 90%. And it is impossible for me to maintain my peak health while on the road. So travel has been shown as very glamorous, and I think a lot of that comes from travel companies. We see a lot of commercials from airlines and services that book you hotels and book you flights and stuff like that. And of course, they're going to show that living the high life equates travel. Well, I strongly disagree. Now, maybe you live in a very unhealthy environment, and when you travel, you go to a healthier environment. Let's say you live in the middle of Philadelphia. You take a trip out to the mountains of Colorado. It is a way healthier environment. Maybe you go to the beach. It is healthier at the beach. You're soaking in all the negative ions that are generated by the ocean and the water. Or you go to the forest or the mountains, lots of negative ions. You're away from all the stress of the city and all this stuff. Sure, so you're healthier when you're there. But the travel itself, by almost any method, is far less healthy than you would be staying at home. Even if you have an unhealthy home environment, even in the city, you can take a whole bunch of steps to make your environment healthier. I've said it many times, we shouldn't live in cities. They're not going to turn down the EMF. But even in a city, you can take massive steps to protect yourself at home. You can shield major EMF sources in the home if they're coming in from outside, or you can shield your devices, you can turn off your devices, you can turn off your Wi-Fi, you can stay away from the computers and the televisions and the phones. You have the choice to do all of these things at home. If you live right next to a high voltage line or a transfer station for electricity 
or a cell phone tower or you live above a subway station, honestly, you need to move. There is no fixing that. You cannot mitigate that. But most of us live in a medium EMF environment in the city suburbs, and you can mitigate that to at least some degree with shielding and various devices. And that would be a whole other podcast, but I'm saying that you can make your home environment healthier from man-made devices to plants in your house. You can get a water filter so you have unlimited access to clean water. If you have a yard, you can grow some of your own food. If you're in the country, you can have some chickens and all this stuff. I'm saying you can do a lot more at home than you can on the road. You have a lot more control of your environment at home. And let me tell you, I went all over the world pretty much trying to escape my problems. That was one of my biggest problems in life. I was always running away. I was always thinking that the solution to my problems was elsewhere. Oh, if I just move again. Oh, if I just get with some new person or get some new friends. None of that was ever true. The most valuable people to me were the people that I already had. It took me a long time to realize that. I had to go all over the world to realize that there's no place like home. And I've heard that before from other travelers. Even though it can be fun... Even though you grow from it, even though you make friends you never would have made, have experiences you never would have had, there is no place like home. And I don't mean the place that you were born. I was raised in East Toronto, Canada. I hate that place. I'll never go back there if I don't have to. My mom just moved out. I'm so glad about that because I don't have to visit there anymore. But I have found a new home up north, northern Ontario, Canada, on the Canadian Shield. It's a very magical place to me. A lot of people don't understand it. Even my wife doesn't understand it. She doesn't like it up there. Well, she's American, and the American government doesn't let me live here. It's a long story. Went more into it on my podcast episode, Banned from America, if you want to check that out. But I still have to travel, basically. I have to spend half time in both places, so I'm forced to travel. And if it were up to me, I would not. I would stay in one place, honestly, maybe for the rest of my life. In the business that I am, I am being invited and asked to participate with various clinics and startups, and do events and other things, and I dread much of it, but I know that that's my calling in life here. So if I have to go work in Dubai for a while, I will do that. We've got clinics all over America that follow our process. They want me involved. I understand that I do have to say yes to many of these things in order to fulfill my purpose in life which is also a conversation for another day that I think is worth having, but my point is I understand I have to travel. You may also have to travel, but especially if you're a young person and you're thinking that travel is what you aspire to, this podcast might have you thinking a little bit differently about that. Some other cons of travel, it's very expensive. Travel is currently one of the most expensive things I do. I'm fortunate that I am making decent money, but I would rather keep that money and stay home, quite honestly. I need to see my wife, I get it. I need to, you know, help these people, whatever. But boy, it is not cost effective. Beats up my wallet, beats up my car, even if I have to drive several hours to an airport because I live nowhere near an airport, which is a good health choice, by the way. Don't live near an airport. They're one of the highest EMF sources there is. And I try to stay productive. I do a lot. You know, I work 12 hours on a normal day, 12, 14, 15 hours. Lately, it's been nonstop. When I have to travel, I have to slow down for several days before that. I get almost no work done while I'm on the road. And then when I land, I'm exhausted and I have to take it slow for a few days as well at least. That's if I don't get actually sick on the road and show up sick. It can happen. Just because I'm in the health business and got all these supplements and everything doesn't mean I can withstand the absolute trauma entailed in travel. And the only times that I've been sick in recent years have been while I'm on the road or as soon as I landed. And I'm not blaming this on germs. I'm blaming this on exhaustion, dehydration, and massive EMF exposure on planes and in the airports and cars for that matter. 
all of these things give off a lot of EMF. Don't believe the Tesla marketing where they say they shield the EMFs. I don't drive a Tesla, but don't believe it. All cars give off EMF frequencies and positive ions, which is something we don't talk about enough. And a lot of people don't talk about it enough. A lot of people recognize that frequencies, waves, are bad for us from our electronic devices and our cars and planes and all this stuff. Very few people recognize that these same devices also give off the other type of energy, which is particle energy, ions. All matter is both wave and particle. Physicists agree on this and so do we. And when it comes to our electronic devices, they produce bad frequencies and bad ions. They call them positive ions, but I always thought they should have named them the other way around because the negative ones are good for us. That's what beaches and trees and mountains give off. That's what you absorb from the earth when you put your bare feet to the ground, right? Grounding or earthing. Why is it good for you? Because negative ions flow up through your legs and drain the positive ions out of you. All the bad stuff is positive ions. We're talking about car exhaust and pollution, pesticides, free radicals, right? The stuff we need antioxidants to combat. We're always producing free radicals in our body. When we breathe, when we digest, when we expend any energy, we're producing free radicals. But our cars also produce free radicals, positive ions. So do our air conditioning units, heating. All this stuff produces positive ions and all this stuff is bad for us. And that's why negative ions are good for us. They attach to those positive ions like a magnet and pull them out of the body. That's why grounding is good for you. That's why ion generators are good for you. That's why plants in the house are good for you. We're just being outdoors, even in a park. The grass, the tree, the leaves, all these things give off negative ions. Every form of travel does not with the exception of something inert like a bicycle or walking. So we're still on the negatives about traveling here. It's expensive. You're going to be exposed to more EMF probably than your home environment, or at least you have no control over the EMF that you're exposed to while you're on the road. Not to mention the discomfort involved in these traveling methods as well. Like I said, I've spent a lot of time on trains and planes and cars and even boats. All of them are awful to me. And I'm six foot two. Probably anyone over five foot nine is going to be extremely uncomfortable on a plane and in most vehicles. And if you've got a nice big vehicle that's roomy and comfortable, well, it's going to cost you a lot more to drive that thing. I drive a small, modest car. It's uncomfortable. It's cheaper. But that's about the only good thing I can say about it. So planes are tremendously uncomfortable. The process of going through the airport, anybody knows who's ever done it. It's terrible. Nobody would do that voluntarily. They've got all these stupid made-up rules that are for planes only. They say it's for our own safety. I'm talking mostly about America, Canada here, where they implemented all this stuff after 9-11, saying it's for our safety, but yet they don't do any comparable security measures in other major gathering places like stadiums and train stations. And I'm not saying they should. I'm just saying that they've got this huge hyper-security apparatus that, first of all, makes the process more uncomfortable. Second of all, it makes it way more expensive. Why? Because we pay for this garbage, the TSA, all this extra security, which doesn't keep us secure at all. Why? Because nobody's trying to bring a bomb on a plane. If you didn't know, let, let me pitch this. Most things that you've ever seen in the news are completely fake. I have a side project. It's called Wag the Dog Theory. It's a series of long videos that are not allowed on YouTube and most other platforms. And I go through all kinds of different examples of fake news. And although I have not even investigated the underwear bomber or whatever that one incident was on a plane, I'll bet without even looking at it that it's fake. Fake news. If you don't understand that, if you think that events are real, shootings and wars and whatever else they show us on the TV, if you think they're real, you need to watch Wag the Dog Theory. 
Those videos are on Rumble. You can search Wag the Dog Theory. There's four of them now. The four combined are around 13 hours long, and there's almost no filler in there. If you've never seen it, you might have your mind blown. They're also on wagthedogtheory.com. I made that website because these videos, again, they're banned almost everywhere. I don't expect them to stay up on Rumble forever. I don't trust Rumble any more than I trust any of these social media platforms. I'm just saying all this security stuff, it's not keeping anyone safe. That's bogus. If anyone's harming civilians and terrorist attacks, it's governments that are doing it. And it's those types of statements that might get this podcast taken down again. It was taken down before. We've relaunched with the same name. This is why I encourage you to go to my website, notusbooks.org, and download these episodes. Even though there is no credible threat from any of us riding planes or trains or whatever, they have this crazy security thing that makes it so uncomfortable and annoying to go through in such a long process. Huge long lines going through security. You got to take your shoes off and your belt off. People like me like to refuse going through the microwave or the M-wave detector. In America, you're allowed to refuse it. In Canada and Australia and maybe some other countries, you're not allowed to refuse it. So, okay. By doing this glamorous travel thing, I have to stand in a microwave. That's great. And all these mindless drones that work at these places are taught to parrot the phrase, oh, you get more radiation in the plane than you do from these microwaves. And that might actually be true. That doesn't negate the point that I don't want to stand in the microwave, even for a second. A lot of you guys carry a microwave on you willingly, which is your cell phone, and you put it next to your genitals or next to your breasts. That's not a good idea either. But I don't. I try and avoid EMF as much as possible, and I know that even just approaching an airport, I'm going to be exposed to more than I ever will at home. Then I've got to go through these microwaves, and if I refuse it in America... Well, then I've got to let some stranger touch my genitals in public. And yeah, I can ask to go into a private room. I don't want to go into a private room with these people. So, so far I've had to sit in an uncomfortable car, stand in uncomfortable lines, carrying my heavy bags, pay more money for my bigger bags if I do that, which I don't because they sometimes lose my bags or my bags show up damaged. Or, in the best case scenario, nothing goes wrong with my bag, but I have to sit there and wait literally two or three hours after I land to get my bag. These sound like little minor complaints here, but this adds up to a pretty miserable experience. I hate traveling for these reasons, and I hate flying even more. So I've stood in line carrying my bags, my shoulders are sore, not allowed to bring my own water in, so I'm dehydrated because I refuse to pay whatever it is, $5.99 or $10 for a water bottle. You think I'm exaggerating, I am not. I don't want to pay $3 for a bottle of water. This is way more than the price of gasoline. I don't like buying liquids from the store anyways. I have this short video somewhere on YouTube, five free things that you can do for your health. One of the top things is not to buy liquid from stores. It's a terrible value. Save yourself tons of money if you don't. I've saved thousands of dollars by not buying milk and juice and soda pop and energy drinks. I don't buy any of that stuff. These days, I don't even buy coffee on the road. For the most part, most of the time, unless I'm really dying or I got days on the road. That's another thing. All these drink receptacles that you buy, they're all unhealthy. I don't want to drink from plastic. Sometimes I have to on the road and it sucks. It's a compromise that I know I have to make. I do bring my own cups, my own jars and all this stuff, but it doesn't always work out that way. And these are little things, but they add up coffee on the road. I don't ever want to drink from these styrofoam or other plastic or wax coated cups. These are all bad for you. It's not going to be the worst thing in the world. It's not as bad as eating gluten. It's not as bad as drinking a Coca-Cola. It's not as bad as sniffing glue, but it's something I don't want to do. I want to drink from a glass. At home, I use a jar. 
especially for something very hot like coffee. Jeez, while we're on the subject of coffee, it's almost impossible for me to get a good coffee in America. My goodness, America's known for terrible coffee and it's like they're proud of it. So now I'm grumbling, I've had to pay for some terrible coffee in a poisonous cup when I could have spent pennies at my own house with my own clean filtered water. Got some random security agent patting down my whole body, including my genitals, because I don't want to stand in a microwave. Of course, that takes even longer. I've had to walk through this line where everybody's got to do the same thing. And now, okay, I'm the one that wants to opt out. So what you have to say, hey, I want to opt out. Okay, go over to the side. Okay, now I got to wait even longer. And a lot of times, I'm pretty sure they make you wait longer on purpose. I know it annoys them. They have to do more work. The TSA in America, it seems to love hiring the laziest people in the world. And I am going on a tangent here about the people who work airport security and customs and homeland and all this stuff, because I think it matters. You have to deal with these people. I have to deal with these people extensively when I'm traveling. It's a big part of my life, and it's one of the least enjoyable things about traveling. And I think the equation goes both ways. I do think that lazy people are attracted to these jobs. They are lazy jobs. You do not have to do much work at the TSA. You don't have to do much work as a customs agent. And that's not true for all law enforcement. I don't think anyone joins the Navy because they're lazy. I don't think anyone becomes a cop because they're lazy. But being a border agent, being an airport security, this is very lazy. And I'm lazy, by the way. I enjoy being a shop clerk. I chose to be an artist for most of my life, in part because it's a lazy job. I can go at my own slow pace. I don't have to break a sweat, etc. And I know that if I was looking at one of these law enforcement jobs, I would choose one of the lazy ones. Now that's one factor, but I also think that the Lucifer effect is at play here. Lucifer effect is a very famous book by Philip Zimbardo. He's the guy who ran the Stanford prison experiment, where he took a bunch of college kids, he assigned half of them to be guards and half of them to be prisoners, and basically... The guards ended up abusing the prisoners so much that the experiment had to be ended early. I do recommend that book. It's very interesting. Some people have criticized it for not being very realistic, but I strongly believe in this effect. Zimbardo was also involved in the trial for the Abu Ghraib prison atrocities. This was a prison in Iraq where the American guards were basically abusing the Iraqi prisoners. Now, Zimbardo's argument was that these are not bad apples. That's what the American government said. Oh, these are just bad apples. And that's what some people said about the Stanford prison experiment as well. Oh, they're just bad apples. Well, he's saying, no, it's a bad barrel. It's a bad situation that creates bad apples. In the case of Abu Ghraib, it was basically a dungeon in the basement on night shift with very little or no accountability. So these people turned into abusers in that situation. Same with the Stanford experiment. And I'm saying that's exactly what happens at the TSA and the customs agencies. You've got lazy people that are attracted to the job in the first place, and you've got an absolutely toxic work environment where there's a culture of indifference, a culture of laziness, a culture of inhumanity. They're not taught to treat everyone with respect and stuff. I've spent so much time at these places. Again, you can hear my podcast banned from America for more on that. I'm just saying I strongly believe that the culture of these organizations that you have to deal with when you're traveling, they create terrible people. You might not have been a terrible person to begin with, but if you stay at these agencies long enough, you will lose much or all of your humanity. 
and talk about travel problems. Well, I don't know if you've ever been denied from a border or deported from a country. I have several times. It's an awful experience, of course. Talk about ruining your travel plans, ruining your vacation, or your business trip, or whatever it is. These people can ruin your plans, and they don't seem to care at all about it. I have encountered a couple, one, two, or three agents that looked more human than the others. For example, after one of my recent denials, I had to go back the next time, and you know, the man, he was more understanding than normal. And when I got through, my wife always asks, you know, how was it? And I said, you know what? He didn't seem like that bad of a guy. He seemed like, you know, he had a wedding ring on. You know, maybe he was a good husband. Maybe he was providing for his family. But his eyes just looked dead to me. He didn't look mad or upset. He just looked overall unhappy. And I think that would be true with anyone who is actually a good person. If you stay at these agencies too long, you will either be unhappy or you're going to turn into a monster, basically. And yeah, I'm being a bit dramatic here, but again, I truly hate these people. And it's not the people themselves, it's the people they become in that role. Maybe they're the best friend, the best father, the best wife, the best person you ever met outside of work. But to do that job properly, you have to be a jerk at the very least. You have to turn off your empathy. And since I've had so much experience in the back rooms of these customs agencies and stuff, I've seen new trainees come in with a smile on their face. They're a regular person when they're starting out. See them again a few months later, they're stone cold like the rest of them. And if there's any TSA agents listening, first of all, you've got about a 50% chance of not working there next year. The turnover is incredibly high at these security agencies because it looks like a terrible job and it looks like only terrible people enjoy that job. I don't mean to be rude, by the way. I usually don't bring personal intentions into it or ad hominem kind of attacks. And I know a lot of them hate their job too. That's why they leave it as soon as they possibly can. That's why the turnover is so high at the TSA. But this pretty much goes for all of the authority people I have to deal with while I'm traveling. Have you ever had to deal with customs people? It's hard for me to even call them people. You definitely don't need people skills to work as a customs agent. I don't care what country we're talking about. But for the most part, I will say in Europe and many other places, I've dealt with very many friendly, congenial security workers and customs agents that I have no problem with. Most of what I'm talking about here is in Canada and America. People with no respect for their fellow humans. I doubt many of them are even literate. Some of the dumbest, laziest, fattest, most disrespectful people I've ever seen. And I don't really mind being rude about it. Because chances are you listening will agree. These are extremely lazy jobs. You stand there and say, oh, put your shoes in the thing. Go this way, turn this way. Does not require any mental competence at all. Yeah, we're still talking about travel. But you have to deal with these people in most cases when you travel. Even if you're staying within the US, you have to deal with the TSA. You have to go through security. In some airports and some places are worse than others. But if you don't believe me that this is a lazy job, when you work for the government, let me be specific here, when you work for the government, you do not need any social skills at all. And you're probably in for a very boring and lazy job. One illustration of this is a 2007 study by the Cato Institute that found that private screeners, and there are private screeners, especially those at San Francisco International Airport, they switched from the TSA to a private company because they realized how bad of a job the TSA does and how much the customers of the airport hated the TSA. They didn't want to deal with them. So customer dissatisfaction with the airport is much higher when they have to deal with the TSA. So 
They hired a private company, and the Cato Institute in 2007 found that private screeners performed at a higher level that was equal to or greater than that of the federal screeners. It's only one example. You could go through many different industries and show that those who work for private companies have to have more respect. I'm not saying they're all perfect. Sometimes companies have a monopoly. You know, anyone who's had to deal with any of these big cell phone companies knows they really don't care about you and they don't have to. But for the most part, a company that wants to keep its contracts, keep its position and keep its business have to treat their customers with respect. And when it comes to security, we are their customers. So a private company has more incentive to care. And it turns out that they actually do care more than these government agencies. Big rant here. Hey, but I have to deal with people that I despise and I feel like they despise me too. I don't feel like I'm even being rude about this because some of these people that work at these places, I don't think they would be offended. I don't think they have any emotions at all. I don't think that they respect us, but I don't think they respect themselves either. I know you can feel my hatred here, and I know it's ugly, but this comes up every time I have to travel. If you think it's all fun and games traveling, oh yeah, yeah, I'm at the beach. No, it's not. Then you get to your destination. You probably have to stay in a hotel or a B&B. Well, both of these have problems. I've stayed in many different hotels, resorts, and B&Bs, and lesser accommodations like hostels, and slept on many a couch in my day. Thankfully, lots of our followers offer me places to stay as I travel, and I do sometimes take them up on it. And back before I had enough money for hotels, I would take them up on it all the time. I would drive an extra six hours on an already long drive just to get to somewhere where I can stay for free. All of these have problems. And private houses that I stay at are inevitably nicer, at least to me, in my standards of health, than any hotel, motel, hostel, anything like that. One of my least favorite things about hotels is that most of them you can't open the windows at all anymore. Only the greasiest, cheapest little motels in the middle of America, it seems, you can actually open the window. Or the ones that offer smoking still, which you still can in many states. And I think this is so that they can save energy, so that, you know, you're not wasting the AC or heat. just all stays in the room, but to me it's a severe lack of ventilation. I'm going to talk about some of the other stuff in the hotel room, and all of that is made worse by the lack of ventilation, the fact that I can't open the window. And I hate AC. I'm not going to go that deep into it, but I didn't grow up with AC. I've only lived in a couple of places short term that ever had AC or needed it, but I can't stand it. Something about it, probably the positive ions, it just makes the room totally unbearable for me. And I know that sounds dramatic to a lot of people, but really, I feel really sensitive to AC. Cannot stand it. I would rather sit there sweating in the heat than have AC on. And yet all of these places, the hotels, the airports, almost all of the tourist destinations, they're pumping AC in and I just can't stand it. And for some reason, the hottest places keep it the coldest inside. Like I'm in California or Arizona or here down in Texas. You go inside of any store, it's like cold. What the heck? Hotels, almost all of them are high EMF. Very difficult these days to find a hotel that doesn't have cell phone towers on the roof. Look around for that. Cell phone towers on the roof. Why? Because they get paid to have those cell phone pads there. Not a whole tower. They get paid for that. So they do it. They don't care. They don't care if it's radiating people who are staying there. They don't care if it's radiating their employees. Very few companies or governments, very few people in general recognize the hazard of EMF. Well, I recognize it, and I try and find hotels that don't have towers on the roof, and it's not an easy task all the time. On top of that, many of these hotels and motels buy the cheapest real estate they can. That often means being right next to an airport, high EMF. 
being right next to a cell phone tower, high EMF, being right next to a voltage station, high EMF, being right next to a highway, high EMF, high noise, high exhaust fumes and heavy metals that are in the exhaust, catalytic converter does not catch all of it, high positive ions because all the cars are generating positive ions, it's actually worse to roll your windows down on a highway, one that has lots of cars on it. It's worse than sitting there with your windows up. Sounds paradoxical, but your cabin filter in your car will actually help you a little bit. It's not fresh air at all if you open your window on a highway with traffic on it or with many cars traveling at high speed. There's a lot more bad stuff to say about traveling, I think, than good things. So we've gotten to our destination. We're in a hotel or a B&B. A lot of these B&Bs have all these smart appliances everywhere. I don't know. I guess they think that we want that. Very strange to me, been staying in these B&Bs and yeah, some of them are full-blown smart homes, couple of them I couldn't even sleep in, couldn't sleep a wink in, because I'm just being blasted with radiation in these homes. They've got smart TVs, they've got an Alexa on the counter listening to me, smart thermostats, they've got cameras all over, Wi-Fi definitely. You think of Wi-Fi as an amenity, I think of it as an assault, especially when it's high-powered Wi-Fi in a, in a hotel or something, or an airport, or a school. We haven't even talked about food and drink. So to me, none of these places are better than me staying home or staying with a friend or something. Sleeping in the car isn't very fun. My wife or mother, I just traveled with my mom down to Texas, picked my wife up, drove to Colorado with her and back. And both of them don't have a lot of this stuff in mind. I'm a lot more picky. I will punish myself to go and get somewhere that's healthier. For example, neither of them will go a day without eating on the road, but I will. Someone yesterday asked me on Instagram, What's your best option to eat while on a plane? Should I go for the gluten-free options? And I said, there's nothing good on a plane, period. It's 100% processed food. I wouldn't even eat an apple from a plane. It's a guarantee they bought the cheapest garbage they could find. This is true with restaurants too. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about how to eat healthy at restaurants or at least how to do your best. But restaurants, as a general rule, buy the cheapest possible ingredients they can. So even if you're broke, you can buy better ingredients for a better price at home. By far, home cooking is the number one way to immediately reduce the toxins and poisons and random food additives and and all this stuff and the cost, reduce the cost of your eating. Number one way to do all of this from the start is to learn how to cook and cook your own food. And by the way, we do have a cookbook. It's called Dr. Wallach's Cooking Without the Bad Foods. Of course, you can find it along with my other books on notusbooks.org. We also have a food Instagram and a food YouTube, and you can message the Instagram. We're there to help you learn how to cook. This is what we do for a living. We help people get healthy. We make money on the supplements, but we want our customers to get the best results they can, to be as healthy as they can, and you will be the best customers that way. Healthy people buy more products than sick people, if you didn't know. Sounds weird. It's true. I don't know why. So home cooking is going to be the best way to do it. Good luck doing that on the road, even at a B&B. We stayed at one B&B on this trip that we left early. And we actually got a bad review from the guy, so it actually knocked down our B&B rating, I guess, because we left early and didn't tell them. We left two days early. I don't know. I thought a homeowner would like that. Hey, they don't have to spend any money on us staying there. One of the reasons we left is because there was no way to cook. There was just a hot plate and some really crummy cookware, some garbage Teflon-coated cookware. P.S. We recommend cast iron. Cast iron pans, stainless steel pots. They're not expensive or fancy, but for some reason, every B&B I've seen has 100% Teflon-coated garbage. Teflon is a poison. It gets scraped up as you cook on it. The longer you cook on it, the more that Teflon actually ends up in your food. So we had no healthy way to cook while we're at this B&B, and we had to eat mostly at restaurants anyways during this trip, which has its own challenges. Again, we'll get there. 
I'm saying I was not satisfied, and these are not the lowest end options here. I don't want my wife staying in the lowest end options. My mom will stay in a one-star motel with me. My wife will not. Or I don't want her to. This is not even mentioning cockroaches and bed bugs, by the way. There was cockroaches in one of the hotels that we stayed at on the road. I think it was in Arkansas. To me, it's not the biggest deal in the world. I lived in Australia, and cockroaches were kind of a regular thing. I still slept on the floor in those years. I do have an episode here about sleeping on the floor, by the way, which is something I actually do recommend, especially to young people. But when you sleep on the floor, especially in Australia, you better get used to cockroaches walking on you in the night. Bed bugs is not something I've encountered, but it's a definite possibility. It does happen. And another thing with these hotels and B&Bs and motels, hostels, whatever, all of them will also be using the cheapest cleaning ingredients available. That means they wash the linens, which are... <laughs> They're guaranteed they're not actually made of linen. We still call it linen as if it's made of linen, but no, it's probably plastic fabric garbage in most cases, and it's washed with some of the most toxic chemicals available, and inevitably they're the cheapest cleaning products available. And I personally choose to buy the all-natural dishwashing fluid, laundry detergent, soap, shampoo, all this stuff. I don't want to breathe an air freshener. Sometimes I can't avoid it. B&B has air fresheners. They think I want that. I don't want it. Don't want to be sitting in a room full of chemicals. But in a hotel in B&B, you're probably sitting in a room full of chemicals. That stuff does absorb into your skin. It can disturb your breathing. It can set off a pseudo-allergic reaction if you're very sensitive. Thankfully, I'm not that sensitive to chemicals, but I can smell them and it bothers me. Have you ever seen even a high-end five-star hotel advertised that, oh, we only use all-natural cleaning stuff. No, and you probably won't see that because it is more expensive. Just like you don't see even at fancy restaurants, you barely ever see organic ingredients, with the exception of some places like in Colorado, one of the healthiest places in America. It is quite common to see we have all organic ingredients and we fry in beef tallow and we're all gluten-free. You only see that in some concentrated, super healthy places and only at some restaurants in those places. It's not everywhere. Regularly on the road, you're not getting any organic ingredients. You're not getting any natural cleaning products. And I know this is a big deal for a lot of people, including me. So we're in our hotel room, or Airbnb, a room that costs too much, might I add. Some of the cheapest rooms I've ever stayed in were like 60 bucks, which is too much for a night, especially when I'm on the road, I'm just sleeping, I'm going. Sure, they gotta run their business, I get it. I'm saying I don't want to pay for that. It's not worth very much to me. I have stayed in hostels for like 7 euros or something a night, in a room with 10 or 20 other men groaning and farting in their sleep. And you might not be as cheap as I am, but I like to keep my money. And P.S. A lot of these hotels in certain states, like Nevada is really bad for this. They'll be like, oh, a $10 room, but you got $70 in fees on top of that. A lot of states, the price is what it is, but still, 60 bucks is going to get you the worst hotel in the city. We just stayed at the cheapest motel in Columbus, Ohio. I think it was 60 bucks. It was not worth 60 bucks. Maybe you think it's worth it to pay another 40 50 for a better room. Well, okay, you're still sitting in a bath full of chemicals. Take a black light to the walls in the bed, you're going to see body fluids all over the place. That's a guarantee in every single hotel room in the world, unless you're the first one staying in it. And I'm not a germaphobe by any means at all, but I do get grossed out thinking about this. I don't want to sleep in someone else's bed, even if they've never had sex in it or soiled it in any way. We shed an incredible amount of skin and hair and other stuff, and it's just weird to me. I like my own bed. I don't even have a nice bed. And P.S. Talk to people who work at hotels, motels. Do you think that they actually change and clean the comforter, the blanket? No. 
they don't. Many times they won't wash the sheets either unless it looks obviously dirty. And on the chemical point, a lot of them remodel their carpets and repaint the walls frequently. Well, new carpet and new furniture and new paint off-gasses chemicals. You buy a new car, that new car smell is chemicals. In many cases, it takes a couple of years, two, three, four years to fully get rid of that chemical residue by off-gassing. Well, a lot of times the hotels are changing their interiors faster than that. And then they add new chemicals on all the time in the cleaning process. Back to the cost thing for a second, these B&Bs are annoying me as well because the price is never what it says. It says it's 40 bucks, says it's 60 bucks, and there's a $20 cleaning fee and these other fees on it and taxes. If you find a B&B that is the price as advertised, send it to me. I'll be surprised. So we're at our hotel. Now I've got to go to the grocery store and buy some distilled water because before food comes water. I'm big on clean water. Usually the best I can get while I'm on the road is distilled. I also have to add my own salts to it or supplements because you don't want to just drink distilled water. There's no such thing as pure water in nature. Water is very reactive. Both hydrogen and oxygen are very reactive. They want to bond with other things. In nature, spring water, well water, stream water, rain water, all of this is not pure water. It always bonds with other stuff. So you don't want to drink pure distilled water, but I've got to go buy distilled water. Now, at least in America, I can still get a gallon at most places for about a dollar, which is thankfully cheaper than gasoline, which is my basic metric. It still comes in a plastic bottle, and I'm not happy about that. Not just for the health aspect, but also for the environment. Recycling's a scam, if you didn't know. Very, very little of it gets turned into anything else, and a tiny, minuscule quality actually gets recycled into something useful. So I don't like contributing to the plastic waste of the world. But I've got to on the road. So I go buy my water. Because there's no such thing as clean water at a hotel, even the fancy hotels. For a while, one of our customers, he gave me his uh, code. He, he worked at one of these big, nicer hotel chains. So actually, I got a great deal. Still more than I'd like to pay. But I got a great deal on some fairly nice rooms for a while in America. Even they didn't have filtered water. A lot of restaurants do this too. They serve you tap water, but they put it in a nice glass phase. You know, it's got the sweat water beating down it nice and cold. It looks nice, but it's tap water. Most of these hotels, it's tap water. Of course, there's no real food in a hotel ever. You got vending machine food at best. All of their free breakfasts, if they have them now. Not a lot of people do that anymore. If they have a free breakfast, it's 100% garbage food. Even if they have some bananas and apples out there, they're the cheapest bananas and apples you can find. They are GMO. They're sprayed with pesticides. So I don't take advantage of the free breakfast most of the time. I, I will eat one of those apples or something. Again, a compromise I will make on the road. But usually, while I'm at that grocery store buying my water, I gotta buy some food too. Stuff that doesn't need a kitchen to cook, because the hotel room doesn't give you a kitchen and most of the B&Bs don't either. And of course, you're on the road here, so do you really want to spend your time cooking your own meal in a kitchen that you're paying for instead of your own home? No, not really, not probably. You probably want to go out and enjoy. You probably want to go out and see the sights. For me, I'm usually traveling with a purpose. And I usually have to do a whole bunch of stuff while I'm traveling. I don't have that much time. On this trip that my wife and I just did to Colorado, we did buy food from the grocery store. But it was all stuff that didn't need cooking. We're talking about hard-boiled eggs in a bag. Which I really don't like. I don't enjoy hard-boiled eggs. I'd prefer them soft. And it's healthier when they're soft. So you're absorbing more of the fatty nutrients in the yolk and the cholesterol. But hey, we're on the road. Okay, hard-boiled eggs. Find some uh, turkey slices that don't have nitrates in it or celery powder in it because celery powder turns into a nitrate when it's heated for processing. We buy some gluten-free wraps, you know, we make some little egg turkey sandwiches. Most of the time we do have a fridge, that is one thing I'm grateful for. 
but a lot of times that fridge is in the same room that I'm sleeping. Oh, a refrigerator is another source of EMF that I don't want to be around, especially when I'm sleeping. A lot to complain about here, but all of this stuff is controlled in my house. I don't have to deal with any of this stuff at home. So I got some food. It's not ideal. We haven't gone to a restaurant yet. And I definitely haven't had any fun yet in this whole trip, this hypothetical trip here. When does the fun begin? That's a real good question. And before I really had purpose in life, you know, before I got into this health business and stuff, I mostly did travel with no purpose. I was just a tourist. Well, that's pretty lame too. If there's one piece of advice I could give, especially for the people who are like yearning to travel, especially for those who haven't traveled, traveling with a purpose is your best bet. Because being a tourist is pretty lame. It's pretty boring. You can go see the sights, yes. There are some magnificent tourist destinations. For example, I like art. I like going to the museums, especially in Europe. Especially major ones like the Louvre in Paris. But it's a small part of the trip. Let's talk about Paris. And other big cities are going to be like this too. Milan and Florence and whatever amazing city that you can name. There are some sites there that will blow your mind. For me, yeah, the art, it's an experience I would never give up. I would like to spend a whole month in the Louvre. But most of these cities are grimy. Full of homeless people, beggars and thieves and pickpockets. People trying to rip you off on every corner. Selling you little junk trinkets from China. Way overpriced. You can just go on AliExpress and buy yourself a little metal trinket Eiffel Tower. Save yourself 95% of the money. Oh, but I bought it in Paris. So what? They bought it from China. All over Europe, they're trying to sell me the same little windmill. <laughs> little ceramic windmill. One says Holland on it. One says Germany on it. One says Denmark on it. It's all the same item from China. Of course, in all of these tourist destinations, everything costs more than it should. Hotels, food, drink, admission. Yeah, you gotta pay admission to go into the Eiffel Tower. Most of these other tourist traps. The Louvre is expensive. Most of these museums, oh, you can't bring your own food and drink in. Okay, now you gotta buy overpriced food and drink. Or do it like I do and purposely dehydrate yourself because you refuse to overpay for food and drink. P.S. I also dehydrate myself on purpose while I'm driving on the road because I don't want to urinate all the time. It's annoying. For women, it's even more annoying. Yeah, I know us guys can pull over the side of the road. Well, not on a busy highway. Not when it's pouring rain or snowing. So I drink less than I should while I'm on the road. One of the reasons why I feel crummy when I arrive. One of the reasons I might get sick. One of the reasons my digestion might change. Let's talk about that. You've probably heard of traveler's diarrhea. Well, getting diarrhea or constipation is one of the most common things that can happen, especially after a long flight. When you travel anywhere, the food is different. Even if it's better food, even if it's good food. A radical change to your diet can definitely throw off your digestion. We get a lot of people who come into the health business here and we tell them to eat healthy and they make lots of major changes and it really, really throws off their digestion. It can take them a while to get back to normal. They might have been regular, eating junk food. Their body's adapted to it. They've got an iron stomach from it. Changing the diet, even for the good, can make things worse temporarily. And it can definitely cause constipation or diarrhea. Now, constipation's more of a long-term problem. If you have constipation long-term, it's, it's a big problem. You've got waste reabsorbing because it's not expelling fast enough. But diarrhea is a bit more of an immediate inconvenience. And I promise you it can happen. It's happened to me. First time I ever went to Europe long flight long flight and for some reason the plane couldn't land okay so we circled around for hours waiting for permission to land or something i remember it was a very very long flight we got to the hotel we were exhausted my buddy and i it was late at night we didn't get anything to eat or anything but we decided to just go out on a on a little walk around where we were down in the south of spain it is beautiful malaga it is beautiful 
We must have got about three blocks away from the hotel, and I remember it hit me like nothing has ever hit me. And I've never, ever run so fast in my entire life back to that hotel, and I barely made it to the bathroom. Sounds gross? Well, hey, this stuff can happen <laughs> while traveling, especially on long flights. Why don't we also mention sitting for long periods of time is unhealthy. Great little book on this. It's called Sit Less by Dr. Stefan Zavalin. And Dr. Zavalin was kind enough to send me a copy, signed it. Love that book. We do sit too much. When you're traveling, you have to sit a lot. You ever flown to Australia? Oh man, you better like sitting. This is bad for you. Bad for your circulation. Bad for your muscles. My uncle, he's had a problem with blood clots, and thankfully we've been able to help him with the nutrition. We got him on the omega-3s and stuff, and his doctor's no longer concerned about it, but it's still in his head that he shouldn't sit for long periods of time. But guess what? You don't need a thrombotic diagnosis to avoid sitting for long periods of time. My uncle's a smart guy. He walks every day. He doesn't want to sit in the car for multiple hours. It's bad for everyone. Kids get antsy. Then they start to get annoying because they're bored and antsy. You're bored and antsy. Your favorite songs might drive you crazy because you're bored. You just want to get out of the car. I like to read and I take the opportunity to read on planes. But still, even a four-hour flight, I want to get up and do something. longer the flight, the worse it is. The longer the drive, the worse it is. Bad for your health. On top of the EMF and all that other stuff. Back to the bathroom thing. Another reason I try and dehydrate myself because I don't want to use public bathrooms as much as possible, especially in America. Canada's bad too. Sometimes on the road, you know, I start to feel like I've got to go and it's maybe an hour before I'm able to stop. Sometimes we get jammed up in traffic out of nowhere. On this recent trip, my mom and I got stuck on the border of Ohio and uh, Kentucky randomly. It was Sunday morning, random gridlock traffic jam out of nowhere. I think it was a car accident or something like that. Sitting there so long it becomes an emergency to go to the bathroom. Well, that's also, it's not just uncomfortable, it's bad for you, and especially for older people with weaker bladders, which you could fix nutritionally, but a lot of people haven't. This can be more than painful. You hold it until the point that it's painful and then you might pee yourself. This is real. I know I've gone on super long about the negatives of travel here. I wanted to do this. I intended to do this. So many people said to me on this recent trip, oh, have a good trip. Oh, I hope you have fun on your trip. In my head, I'm thinking, yeah, right, there's going to be a little bit of fun buried in between all this nonsense. Another thing I like to do, especially if the flight is very early, I won't eat the whole day before. I'll fast the day before so there's nothing in my system so I don't have to use a public bathroom. And something here that we don't talk about enough in the alternative health business or the health business in general, probably because it's kind of gross, but I actually appreciate Dr. Oz for this. He's a TV doctor. I know a lot of people will say, what? What do you mean, Dr. Oz? Isn't he like a medical doctor recommending vaccines and that we take drugs and stuff? Yeah, he is. But he's got this series of books called You, The Owner's Manual. And in one of them, he brought up a very important point that us Americans and Westerners, it's pretty weird that we only use paper to try and clean ourselves after using the bathroom. If you had dog poop on your hands, would you just go and clean it off with paper? With paper towel or toilet paper? Would you consider that clean? Of course you wouldn't. You would wash your hands with water and soap. Well, at a public bathroom, especially in North America, you don't get water and soap. You get paper. You can't possibly clean yourself with paper. You can bring a water bottle in there with you so you can wet the paper and you can do a better job than just with paper alone. Still, I would rather not go through this. I would rather have a shower immediately after, by the way. Maybe too much information, but this matters for me on the road. Not to mention the fact that for some reason, the American design of toilet stalls still mostly has these huge gaps 
that every comedian in the world has commented on. Who designed these stalls? Why would you put a half-inch gap in the door? Why are we not given that morsel of privacy during our most private moment? Thankfully, several locations, even like McDonald's as I've seen in America, they're finally, it took us decades to figure this out, finally, they're designing stalls that don't have massive gaps that anyone can stick their eye through while you're using the bathroom. So that problem is just beginning to be solved. But airports don't do that. None that I've seen so far. So I fast on the day before that. And fasting is actually good for you. Periodic fasting. We don't need to fast all the time. And a lot of people take it too far. I don't mind the day of fasting beforehand. But the day of travel is usually very exhausting. Fasting is best when you're not doing much. So I've got an early morning flight. I fasted the day before. Midday, I'm starving. And I don't want to eat any of the garbage in the airports on the plane, definitely don't want to pay these people for it, don't want to eat anything at the hotel, got to go to the grocery store, but often by this time I'm absolutely ravenous, and I know a lot of people don't want to fast like that, and even though I'm going over the stuff I don't like about travel, these are some tips for you as well, you want to avoid all the bad food at the airports and on the planes and at the hotels, well don't eat it, that's that's the advice, that's the advice I gave to the person who asked what my best option is on a plane, your best option is to not eat anything. Bring some dates and figs with you or other dried fruit that doesn't have preservatives in it. My favorite are dates and figs because they don't usually have preservatives. Sometimes I can find apricots as well that don't have preservatives. Most other dried fruit does have preservatives and I don't buy them. Usually I am allowed to bring in the dates and the figs and I'm happy about that. But there isn't a long list of foods that I'll bring with me. Pretty much always bring dates and figs with me. Bring my own water as far as they'll let me take it. Of course I can't bring it on the plane. Another tip is if you are in a pinch, say you land really, really late at an airport hotel or something, you can't just walk out and go to a grocery store, which is another problem. A lot of these hotels exist in food deserts, especially those that are right around the airport. There's nowhere to go to get food. So if you are in a pinch, you don't have clean water with you because you weren't allowed to bring it into the airport. This has happened to me. You're thirsty. It's late. Nothing would be open anyways. Put the tap water into the coffee machine. There usually is a little coffee machine in these places. Run it without coffee in it. It will filter a lot of stuff out. It won't filter everything out, but it's better than tap water. It's the poor man's water filter. And I don't recommend it for more than temporary use, but it is a last-ditch option. Okay, okay, so we're at our hotel. We got some distilled water. Now instead, we're going to go to a restaurant. First of all, your options are pretty limited. If you're trying to avoid, as we recommend, cooking oils and dressings and deep fried food, and you're avoiding gluten, you've just eliminated most of your options. Doesn't matter what country you're in. But you've got your water with you, that's good, because they're probably going to give you tap water regardless. P.S. The soda fountain in many restaurants, it is filtered. It's filtered with ozone. It's not the best. Do not get ice. Ice machines are filthy. Most of them are not even designed to be cleaned. Those that are designed to be cleaned are usually not cleaned at proper intervals or properly at all. Think about it. If you worked at a Kentucky Fried Chicken or a McDonald's, do you care about cleaning the ice filter? Probably not. If you have a refrigerator ice machine, ask yourself, have you ever opened it up and cleaned it? You've probably changed the filter. You've probably never cleaned the ice machine. It is probably completely filled with mold and bacteria. In some of these restaurants, it might have rats in it. I'm not making this up. People post this on social media. Do not get ice. Bring your own water. Put some salt in it if it's distilled. That's another thing. I carry a salt shaker with me everywhere with Himalayan salt in it. You could use sea salt or black salt or any natural salt, but at almost all restaurants, 
Even if it's a $200 meal at a nice steak restaurant, there's probably table salt sitting at your table. And it's a practical guarantee that they've used table salt in all the cooking. And while we're on the subject of salt, actually, for a long time it's annoyed me that most alternative people, they'll say, don't have table salt because it's been stripped of everything and it's been bleached and stuff. And it is true that table salt is bleached and it is heated and other minerals are stripped out of it. But to me, that was never a good enough explanation and it just annoys me that everyone just repeats that. I say that salt is so important that if you don't have your own salt with you for some reason, you still must use the table salt. If I go and eat a steak and I forgot my salt shaker, I have to use the table salt because you need the salt to make stomach acid to digest the meat. And the more the food is cooked, the more salt you need. If it was raw meat, you wouldn't need the salt. But I was happy to find in this book that I recently read, it's called Allergies, Disease, and Disguise by Carolee Bateson Koch. I just reviewed this on my Instagram. I do lots of book reviews on my personal Instagram, Ryan Alexander, and I put all those reviews on my website, nonusbooks.org as well. And I'm probably going to do a deep dive on this book because it was quite good, but finally they gave me an actual explanation in a book. And I've looked this up before, but I shouldn't have to look it up. If you're going to tell me the table salt is bad, tell me why. So here they say, table salt has been heated to over 500 degrees Fahrenheit in the refining process, making those bonds even tighter. So the table salt has tight ionic bonds, which are difficult for the body to break apart. Okay, that's a decent explanation to me. The body can easily use sodium with loose covalent bonds, such as is found in raw fruits and vegetables. And I would say natural salt, Himalayan sea salt, black salt, etc. I just wanted to throw that in there. So we're at a restaurant, we've got our own water, we've got our own salt. Remember, you're you're supposed to be paying for convenience when you go to a restaurant. You're not paying for high-quality food. You're paying for convenience. You're paying for the service. Well, two of the components of the meal I've already had to pay for and bring myself separately. Again, even at a nice restaurant. There are a few restaurants that use sea salts. I've been to a couple of nicer restaurants that do have that, but it's rare. And and I always ask, is this tap water? And often the waiter or waitress just has this look of embarrassment. Yeah, it's tap water. In a lot of places in America, they look at you like you're stupid for expecting high quality anything. (laughs) They're not surprised at all. They roll your eyes. Oh, he's one of those healthy people. Weird stance to take. And P.S. If for some reason I don't have my own water and the restaurant does not have filtered water, I will order a glass of wine. And I'd rather pay for the glass of wine than for a bottle of water that they have, which is probably one of the major brands owned by Pepsi or Coca-Cola. And I hate those companies. I don't want to support them in any way, including their garbage water bottle brands. And often that's not a cheap bottle of water anyway. So I'd rather buy a glass of wine, which will be made with filtered water, by the way. Because the wine will not be consistent, and it won't taste good if they use tap water. So they make it with distilled water. FYI. And if they do happen to have filtered water, or they're kind enough to let me use one of their glasses and put my own water in it, I will ask them for a lemon or lime to put in that water. Because I might as well. It's probably something I don't have with me on the road. P.S. With the ice thing, I already told you not to use your refrigerator ice machine. And it's probably not even designed to be cleaned ever. It's probably not even easy to open up the compartment. You might have to call an appliance specialist to do that. Just use an ice tray, an old-fashioned ice tray, if you insist on ice. I just don't use ice. So, I've already said we've got limited options for restaurants. Steak is usually my first option, because I can just order a steak. Steak and a baked potato. Be careful about mashed potatoes, because they usually use flour in those mashed potatoes. Similar, scrambled eggs. If you're going to an egg restaurant... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're going to be getting the cheapest eggs on the market, first of all. You're not getting value for your money here. You're not getting good nutrition. But it's better than nothing. You order those eggs sunny side up or over easy. Do not trust the scrambled eggs. Do not trust the omelet because it's usually in a bag and it's got flour in it. It's not gluten-free. It probably has other ingredients in it as well, like MSG. By the way, you think MSG is only used at Chinese restaurants? Absolutely not. It is used at most restaurants. Why? Because MSG tricks your taste buds into thinking that it tastes better. They're using the blandest food on earth. They want to trick you into liking it more. And it stops your body from recognizing when it's full, so you overeat. So you buy more food, you buy the dessert, which probably also has MSG in it. So I want to order things that have one ingredient or a few simple ingredients. No sauces, no dressings. Oh, it sounds boring, doesn't it? Yeah, well, the sauces and the dressings are some of the most poisonous things that they have in these restaurants. Yeah, that's what makes it taste good because the food that they're using as a base is the blandest, cheapest food in the world. What do I do for a salad dressing? Say my steak comes with two sides. Okay, I pick a baked potato and I pick a salad. Tell them no croutons first. You must tell them or it will come with croutons. I also ask for some melted butter. Usually they're kind enough to provide me with this. Some melted butter in a little cup and I'll use the salt and the pepper. You can also ask them if they have vinegar or that same old lemon or lime that you used for your water. Why? Because a dressing is just a fat plus an acid. We go through this in our cookbook. Standard stuff here. You can make your own dressings very easily. The vast majority of them are an acid plus a fat. So butter is my fat and vinegar or lemon lime will be my acid. Add the salt and pepper. You got yourself a dressing. Remember, once again, we're paying for convenience and this is not very convenient. Usually they will not have a real vinegar like raw apple cider vinegar with the mother. They'll have garbage white vinegar. Should not be consumed. But compromises are made on the road. Most of the time, I don't even use the vinegar. I'll ask, do you have any real vinegars? And I'll probably end up just using butter and salt and pepper, maybe squeezing some lemon or lime on it. Baked potato, don't eat the skin. The skins of baked potato, it's only when they're baked. That includes sweet potato and yam as well. That's on our bad list also for acrylamide. It's a discussion for another day. Don't eat the skins of the baked potato. But I will eat the potato. So steak is my first choice. What if they don't have a steak restaurant? Well, another of my favorites on the road is pho, or pho, as us white people tend to say, or the Americans say, pho, P-H-O. It's a Vietnamese dish. It's basically bone broth. You usually can find a nice pho restaurant. They do make it in distilled water because, once again, just like wine, if they make it in tap water, it won't taste correct and it won't be consistent from dish to dish. One dish might taste weird. You go in one time, it'll taste different from the next time. 
After it rains in cities, by the way, they usually tend to pour more chlorine in the water. It's another reason. You can taste the chlorine in soups and especially in pho. Easily taste the chlorine. So they just, they use distilled water or filtered water. A lot of restaurants will just use tap water. You should ask. It's one reason I don't usually order soup or anything like that. But I know that pho usually is filtered. We just went to a pho restaurant in Boulder, Colorado, and Boulder, Colorado is one of the healthiest places in America by far. So many, if not most of the restaurants do cater to this ultra healthy crowd. And in that pho restaurant, it said on the menu that you can ask not to have MSG in your pho. Well, that got me thinking, I should probably assume and you should probably assume that MSG is always in the pho, unless otherwise stated on the menu. Now, on the road, if I do see a pho restaurant, I'm going to be happy because I'd rather that than eat at some junk burger stop, which I won't do anyway. And a little bit of MSG now and then is not the biggest deal to me. Although, back to this book, Allergies, Disease, and Disguise, says here, In 1978, MSG was removed from baby food because it was shown to cause damage to the brainstem in infants. MSG also masquerades under the names of hydrolyzed vegetable protein, autolyzed yeast, hydrolyzed yeast, vegetable powder, or natural flavors. One of the many reasons to avoid processed foods in general, we usually don't get into the nitty-gritty like this. This is stuff I'll never mention to a customer, at least not up front, unless they ask about it. We tell them to get off processed foods, we have our specific list, we have a few recommended foods, and we give you the 90 essential nutrients, or maybe a digestion protocol to start the first month. We don't get into these details, but I know the details, and I don't like eating in restaurants because of all this stuff. MSG occurs in larger amounts in foods than other additives, often in gram amounts rather than milligrams, or micrograms in the case of some additives. A typical Chinese meal contains 5 to 10 grams, and says here, although MSG is ordinarily associated with Chinese food, nearly all restaurants use MSG. Fast food restaurants are particularly heavy users of MSG. Practically everything that is breaded contains MSG. Well, I don't get breaded stuff because it's always gluten bread. So you should never be getting things like fried chicken, chicken nuggets, fried fish, cheese balls, all that stuff. While we're here, did you know that MSG might be added to some brands of water-packed tuna or dry-roasted nuts, soy sauce, bouillon. Don't worry, we're going to get to soy sauce when we talk about sushi. Canned and dry soups are more obvious sources of MSG. Other foods commonly containing MSG are ketchup, which you should make yourself anyways. Commercial ketchup is garbage. We have several ketchup recipes in our cookbook and even on our YouTube. Notice Foods, our foods YouTube. Those links are in the description of this podcast. I like making my own ketchup. It's way better. I don't want this garbage in my food. Frozen dinners, frozen vegetables, canned and cured meats, and noodle dishes. All can also have MSG. So make sure to ask for no MSG and definitely assume that basically everything that's not something that's just a simple ingredient, like a steak, assume it has MSG in it. Like I said, to me, once in a blue moon is not a big deal. I never go to restaurants when I'm in my hometown. We cook good food. We eat well at home for a good price. You will never get a good value at a restaurant, in my opinion. Again, you're paying for the service. And when you're as picky as I am, you're not getting that great a service. Waiters and cooks don't like dealing with people like us, and I know. And let's add one other problem with restaurant foods. And by the way, you hear it sounds better here? Yeah, okay, so I got some sound foam in my office here, and future recordings will sound better, I apologize. 
thank you for sticking through some of these recordings that have not been that good of audio quality. I will also upgrade the microphone very soon. But one of my other problems with restaurants is dish soap. This is something I almost never bring up ever. Because I know it's so picky it's to the point of insanity for a lot of people. But at the same time, about half of our audience is super, super health conscious. They eat 100% organic. Many of them eat better than I do. And they know about this dish soap thing. And what am I talking about here? I'm talking about the fact that traces of dishwashing detergent can be left over on the plate, on the bowl, on the spoon, after washing. And if this is true at home, I expect it to be more true at restaurants where people aren't getting paid that much. They have to do a lot more. You know, you got to wash hundreds and thousands of dishes instead of the few in your sink. Corners are cut in restaurants. Corners are cut in any place where people are not paid very much and where people are busy and all this stuff. I don't expect them to do the most thorough job as a dishwasher. I've been a dishwasher before. I cut corners for sure. Sometimes we got so busy, I would literally take some dishes and throw them out in the dumpster out back. This is me as a 15-year-old kid. I'd throw the dishes away because there's too many. But anyways, all restaurants, as a rule, even the nicest restaurants, $200 dish, will be using the cheapest dish soaps available. And it is almost certain that traces of that dish soap is left over on your dishes. So you're eating your food, especially if it's wet, it's moist, it's absorbent. It's picking up those traces of dish soap. Where is it going? Into your body. That dish soap is designed to kill bacteria. This is not an all-natural soap that's designed for human bodies, which generally are much safer. These detergents contain harsh chemical surfactants that work to break down heavy grease and oil. And if you've ever tried to wash a greasy pan without these types of hardcore dish soaps, you know it's much more difficult to do it naturally. You've got to use more elbow grease when you're just scrubbing it. But you put on some of these powerful commercial dishwashers and it eats right through the grime. Well, it can eat right through stuff in your body as well. And your stomach has a thick layer of mucus. And that stops the hydrochloric acid, your stomach acid, from breaking down your stomach wall. Your intestines also have a mucus layer. This helps to protect the delicate tissues in there. If these dishwashing tablets and detergents can dissolve heavy grease and grime from your dishes with water pressure alone, then there's some concern over what its leftover residue may do to these delicate linings. I'm reading an article here, by the way, from mindbodygreen.com. They said it better than I would. Beyond just surfactants, triclosan is another agent in dish and hand soaps that has been shown to affect the microbiome and cause colon inflammation. And that's a source from the National Library of Medicine, which is considered a trusted source here on the internet. Additionally, the synthetic fragrances in conventional detergents can contain chemicals which have been shown to cause an imbalance in the microbiome of various animals. That's also from the National Library of Medicine. So these chemicals in dish soaps can affect your microbiome, obviously, of course they can. They are meant to kill bacteria and stuff on the dishes. So if it gets into your body, it can kill the bacteria in your body. And there's more bacterial cells in your body than there is human cells. They're just as much a part of us as we are of our own cells. We couldn't live without these bacteria. Look up the link between probiotics and mental health and blood sugar and obesity and Whatever disease you want to name, there's going to be a link there because if your microbiome is off, 
you're not digesting food properly, you're not absorbing nutrients properly, and it will affect your overall body in many, many different ways. So I don't want to use these types of dish soaps. I don't use these at home. But on the road, I assume that any plate, any fork, any knife that's given to me has been washed with these super toxic detergents. And just remember, any soap product that is not intended for cleaning the human body is poisonous if consumed. That statement is from Medical News Today. This is mainstream stuff. If someone has consumed a cleaning soap, it is important to get immediate medical attention for that person. The same applies to products that have gotten on the skin or in the eyes. Okay, so we're talking about large doses there, but I'm talking about small doses built up over time. And I don't want any dose of this stuff. Oh, traveling's so fun. Yeah, well, you're getting poisoned at literally every turn. And let me throw in one more off-topic fun fact about dish soap. We've all seen the commercials where these big dish soap companies will send crews in to go and clean off animals after an oil spill. Well, it's been a long debate whether this is even worth it. Are we doing anything? And it seems pretty clear, you can look into this, that at best... Cleaning off these animals with the dish soap only prolongs their death. Very few of those animals actually live a normal life after that. Whether it's the oil or the dish soap, I'm not going to get into it. I'm just saying that that's one of the few things that these dish soap companies can claim as a good thing. That they do this environmental cleanup stuff and and it does not help the animals that they do clean off. And it's also been shown that areas that were just left alone, like the beaches, the rocks... They recovered at basically the same rate as those that were cleaned off with the soap. Okay, back to restaurants. We're still talking about steaks. I wrote here in my book, everything you should know about healthy blood sugar. It says you should actually ask them not to have grill marks too. Yeah, you can see servers rolling their eyes at you right now. I know. Well, grill marks are poison. That's char. That's burned animal fat. That's carcinogenic. I want them to cook it on a flat top. Or wrap it in foil before grilling. And I know a bunch of you listening will say, I don't want to use aluminum foil. Well, you're probably right on that. But I don't want grill marks even more. You want to tell your server that you're gluten-free. Make sure they go and investigate that all the little sauces and anything that's mashed. Again, you just shouldn't have that stuff in the first place. But just make sure that gluten doesn't sneak into your dish by making the server go and double-check whatever you're ordering. In the steak restaurant, especially in America... A lot of them put these little breaded onions on top of them. Little shredded onions that are rolled around in flour and deep fried. Well, we don't want the deep frying and we don't want the breading. Both for the gluten and for the MSG and the other stuff. You have to tell them this stuff up front. Or else you're going to get a steak with gluten particles all over it. Even if you knock them off, it's still contaminated. You might not be that sensitive. I am. I don't want that stuff near my food. They can put that little crispy onion stuff on your baked potatoes and other stuff too, so tell them you are gluten-free. Tell them you're allergic to gluten. I don't normally recommend lying. Honesty is the best policy, but if you tell them you're allergic to oil, they have no idea. They're not a nutritionist. They're just going to be scared that you're going to get some kind of a reaction. They will go and double-check. Nobody wants someone passing out in anaphylactic shock at their restaurant. Tell them, I'm deadly allergic to oil and gluten. And thankfully, a lot of this stuff is becoming more common. There are more and more gluten-free people out there. Most servers and most restaurants seem to be aware of it. They've had some kind of training, or at least they've had some exposure. Another thing, gravy. Know that gravy is almost always made with wheat flour. Some places make it with potato starch. 
but most of them make it with wheat flour. Your best bet is to not use the gravy because honestly, even if it's potato starch, they probably have other garbage in it as well. Gravy is very easy to make. You can make it yourself, but not when you're on the road like this. So we're eating a little bit bland here on the road. It's not very good. I know. You don't get all the exciting tastes from all the exotic sauces and stuff that you see at restaurants. Well, too bad. We're talking about being healthy here. Most desserts are not gluten-free. Some restaurants will specify, but none of them are good. If you're willing to make compromises on the road, fine, but sugar's not good either, especially plain white processed sugar, stripped of nutrients. You're going to be better off with a brown sugar or a molasses or a honey or a syrup or something like that, but restaurants don't use this stuff. They use cheap white sugar. They get the cheapest white sugar they can possibly find. It's GMO as well, sprayed with chemicals. And they are not baking these desserts at low temperature. In our cookbook, we recently updated it this year, 2023, and we've tried to adjust as many temperatures as we can downwards. Low and slow is the golden rule in our kitchen. One reason for that is we like cooking with butter or baking with butter. You can bake with ghee or clarified butter or even lard. You can bake and cook with those things. They can take a higher temperature, but in general, the more you heat the food, the worse it is. We like to use butter. It's the most commonly available cooking fat. So we cook and bake at low temperature because butter burns beyond 300 degrees Fahrenheit and sugar burns beyond 350 degrees Fahrenheit. So almost every baking dish, especially in a restaurant, they're using 350 or 400 or 450. So the sugars burn too. Now it's poisonous. Sugar already wasn't good for us. We already consume more than we should. Some real raw honey is not so bad. Maybe it's even good. Discussion for another time. But this processed white sugar is definitely bad to start with, and it's definitely worse when they bake it at high temperature, and they definitely bake it at high temperature at a restaurant. Every single restaurant. And that's notwithstanding all the other garbage they're going to put in it as well. They're not just using sugar flour egg, even if it's gluten-free flour. They're not. They're putting other weird flavor enhancers and MSG and stuff like that in it as well. Now, one option that is acceptable to me is steamed vegetables at a restaurant, but once again, you just heard that book say that MSG could be in frozen vegetables. Well, those steamed vegetables at your restaurant, they're probably from a bag frozen, probably been irradiated. They're definitely not organic. And so my first choice is going to be a baked potato, not eating the skin. And that salad I mentioned with my homemade salad dressing. Sometimes a honey mustard dressing doesn't have oil, by the way, because honey and mustard Neither of them are oil, but many times mustard products do have oil in it. And I don't like mustard anyways, but I don't mind some honey mustard sometimes. But still, just be weary. Any sauce at a restaurant, it's likely to be poison. Blue cheese dressing often doesn't have oil either. Just saying, these are some things that may be safer for you if you really need a dressing at a restaurant. I still don't trust it. I'd rather make my own dressings at home and go without them on the road. Ice cream is not real ice cream. Don't really want to get into the details. Just know, at a restaurant, ice cream is probably not ice cream. And read the labels at your grocery store. Whatever you're buying is ice cream. It's probably not ice cream. It's fake chemical garbage. So let's say we couldn't find a steak restaurant or a pho restaurant. Burgers are almost always off the table for me because I don't trust most restaurants. Most restaurants do use breadcrumbs in the burger. And so you can get it without the bun. You might still be eating gluten and other garbage. I used to work at a pretty high-end burger joint. It was well-known in our neighborhood. People would come far and wide to get our burgers. I know the guy who makes them. He makes them with care and love. He puts fresh onions in them. Non-organic, cheapest onions you can buy, but still. 
put real spices and herbs in them. He really took care to make a good burger, but he also used breadcrumbs. Just know, it's usually not gluten-free, a burger. There is one restaurant in America called Culver's. They do have a gluten-free burger. It's called their Butter Burger, and they do have a gluten-free bun. It still has garbage in it, but it is gluten-free. If you're willing to make these compromises, at least it's gluten-free. But I do know that their burger does not have gluten in the patty itself. And Culver's, I think, is in 26 states right now. It's a decent company. It's not like McDonald's or Wendy's. I'm not really vouching for it. I'm just saying I don't have a huge problem with it. I'm not going to pick on them like I would pick on other types of restaurants. I drove past many Culver's on this trip. I didn't bother going in because plan A for me is to not eat on the road. But of course, when you're traveling, when you're taking vacation, you have to eat something. Grocery store is going to be my first choice. But if I am driving, steak and pho are going to be what I'm looking for first. And there is another option I went into here in the book, which is sushi. A lot of what's in the sushi restaurants is gluten-free. Like a real traditional sushi rice roll is gluten-free. But soy sauce almost always has gluten in it. If you eat sushi, bring your own soy sauce. Never, ever trust a sushi restaurant because regular restaurants, if you tell them you have a gluten allergy or an oil allergy or something, they will take it very seriously. A Japanese restaurant, many times they don't even speak English. And I know from talking with them and from eating at them that they really don't take this seriously. They really don't care. They think us stupid Americans worry too much about all this stuff. They just don't take it seriously. Even if your server's got a face full of acne or is overweight or something, clearly they're eating something that is disturbing their system. They think we're stupid for worrying about all this. So never trust a sushi restaurant. If you say, hey, is this soy sauce gluten-free? They might just say, oh yeah, of course. They will not go and check like some other restaurants who will really take it seriously. Never trust them. Bring your own soy sauce. Go buy it at a restaurant, gluten-free soy sauce or liquid aminos. Organic is even better. I have seen restaurants say, oh yeah, I'll go and get you a gluten-free one in the back. It's not. They're just bringing the same thing back. Some places will lie to you. Also, you want to ask them, no crispies. They don't understand what gluten is. They don't. But they deep fry flour. That's what that crispy stuff is that they put on a lot of the little sushi rolls and stuff. They call it crispies. Just say no crispies. I'm allergic to crispies. I'll die if I have crispies. Don't order the crab. It's probably not real crab. It's fake crab. It probably has gluten in it and other garbage. Also, and I know, I know this rabbit hole can get ridiculous. Again, I would never mention this to a normal customer on a normal day, but we're here. We're in the nitty gritty. And I take all of this stuff into consideration when I'm eating. I don't really like the wasabi, but you should know anything mashed, anything mushed like wasabi probably has gluten in it. We've had them go and check and it's been cornstarch before, which is not any better to me. GMO cornstarch and other very questionable ingredients like natural flavors that probably means garbage poison. I don't trust the wasabi at all. You can bring your own wasabi if you like it. You can buy organic with not very much ingredients in it, but assume that it's made with flour. Don't assume that it's made with cornstarch or just don't eat the wasabi. And there are many rolls that you can actually get that don't have oil sauces and stuff. You can get sashimi, is just the fish or just the octopus or whatever. There are options at a sushi restaurant. But let me say this. We have health and then we have morals and values. At this point, I consider it immoral to buy sushi or to buy anything from the seafood industry. Seafood is one of the healthiest, if not the healthiest types of food in the world. Everything from seaweed to shellfish, crustaceans, fish, the sea is healthy. I just did an episode on nutrition and physical degeneration, very famous book. 
which really breaks down how the healthiest populations fall into two main categories. Those who live on real dairy, unpasteurized dairy, and those who live on seafood. Seafood is healthy. Could go on and on about it, but the seafood industry is one of the worst industries in the entire world. It is the source of more destruction than any other type of farming. If you go to the ocean and catch a fish yourself or go and collect some razor fish and clams and stuff, that's healthy. The industry itself is destroying our oceans, and it's a big problem. Ocean bycatch rates are upwards of 50%, meaning half of what they catch is wasted. They're out there trying to catch shrimp and they catch a whole bunch of other stuff and they throw it overboard. It's just waste. They're killing dolphins and seals and whales and all types of other fish that they're just not there to catch. The worst are these big, massive fishing trawlers. Many different countries are to blame here. It's not just the Asian countries that a lot of people blame. The biggest mega trawlers are mostly from Europe. So it's a terrible industry. We actually recently watched a Netflix documentary called Sea Spiracy, and I do recommend it. I do not recommend paying for Netflix, but you should watch that documentary if you can. And you should actually understand from me. I worked in the marine science industry. I promise you it's worse than that documentary says. And it's bad in that documentary. It's not lying. It's not exaggerating. It's actually worse than that. So although seafood is probably the healthiest food in the world, I don't consider it moral to support that industry. And when it comes time to get into the table in America, I don't consider it very healthy anymore, especially not when they add all these sauces for us. They don't eat these sauces that they put on these dragon rolls and super dragon rolls or whatever they are. They made those sauces for us because Americans love sauces. Those sauces are poison. This industry is not not good at all. We could absolutely cultivate seafood in a way that doesn't destroy the ocean and doesn't kill millions of tons of sea creatures as bycatch per year. And by the way, if you know about the Plastic Ocean thing, famous book, Plastic Ocean, there's probably some documentaries on it as well, these islands of plastic and stuff, it's not your plastic toothbrushes that are in those islands. It's not coffee cups and plastic bags. It's mostly fishing trash, fishing waste, fishing nets, massive pollution problem that they're causing, and a massive destruction tragic destruction of life. So I don't like the seafood industry. I'm just saying objectively here, trying to be healthy on the road, seafood or sushi is an option, but you have to be careful. I find myself living on dates and figs while I'm on the road a lot, and that's fine. You could cross the desert with dates and figs, but travel's supposed to be fun. Travel's supposed to be enjoyable. There's way more rules and restrictions for me while I'm on the road than when I'm at home. I can eat a locally caught fish from the lakes up north and feel fine about it, not on the road. And I love several other cultural cuisines. I love Middle Eastern food. My wife's Middle Eastern, Indian, Italian, Greek. All of these things could be done in a healthy way, but in restaurants, in America, and in most of the world, they're using the cheapest oils that are all completely oxidized. They're using other food additives. And some of these things like Indian, good luck. I don't think you'll find anything on the menu that doesn't that isn't drenched in oil. Greek, maybe you'll be okay with. Get some gyro without the patty. And usually it's just a yogurt dressing. It's okay. It's just, I don't feel secure. <laughs> about any of these things. Now, one other option a lot of people think is weird when I bring it up, but sometimes I'll go to buffets and they might have 200 different items on display and I might be able to eat 10 of them. Maybe I'll get some fruit. Maybe I'll get some roast beef, some steamed beans or something. Probably not very many options, but I can go in, I can pay the flat rate and I can eat a big, huge plate of food. I'm hungry. I'm on the road. 
most of the stuff I can't eat, but I'll just eat those 10 items that are there. Once again, every single one of those items will be the cheapest possible ingredients. It's hardly even real fruit. I can barely even say that this is actually real food, but at least these are single ingredient things. Usually there's a bunch of single ingredient things that I can choose from. A rule of thumb here too is that anything that can be eaten in a sandwich or a wrap can be eaten in a bowl. Many restaurants do offer a bowl these days. I see burrito bowls often and stuff like that. Of course, you have to be careful. You will probably not find any burrito type place or Mexican restaurant that doesn't use cheap vegetable oil. They don't really do that in Mexico, but they do that for us in the restaurants. But still, as a rule, if you're in a pinch, if it's a sandwich or a wrap type of place, you can get the contents of that sandwich or wrap in a bowl. You can eat it with a fork. You're paying for what's inside the sandwich. You're not paying for the bun anyways. The bun has zero value. You might even get more of the contents if you put it in a bowl. I forgot to mention nuts, by the way. Dates and figs and raw nuts. These are my go-tos on the road. I know raw nuts have phytates. You've heard us go on about that elsewhere, but it's once in a blue moon. I don't eat a lot of raw nuts. If you do eat a lot of raw nuts, you should take some steps to get rid of the phytates. Soak them, boil them, bake them, something to get rid of phytates because phytates bind with minerals in your body and steal them from you, basically. That only matters if it's a habit. I do hope these tips help you be healthier on the road, and I also hope that you've seen another side to traveling here. I know a lot of you who have traveled understand all the stuff that I said today. It's not as glamorous as it's made out to be, even at five-star resorts. Very good friends of mine got married at a five-star resort in the Dominican Republic a few years ago. It was the Hard Rock Casino and Resort. Tons of different restaurants available to us inside the resort, totally for free. Many of them, you could go in the middle of the night and get something, but those of us who were there that were gluten-free, there was not that many options for us. It's just how it is. It doesn't matter if it's five-star, seven-star. Those really exist, apparently. Just because it's fancy and they give you a crystal glass doesn't mean they're not serving you tap water, doesn't mean they're not using the cheapest possible ingredients ever. Your steak restaurant might choose a fine cut steak. It might be a nice actual steak. Everything else is going to be garbage. Cheapest possible lettuce with no flavor, tomatoes, no flavor, all this stuff. It's got no flavor because it's garbage. A lot of it's grown hydroponically. There's no nutrients in it. You can do hydroponics with lots of nutrients. They just don't. So expensive doesn't mean healthy for sure. Same thing, seven-star resort. I bet they still use the same cheap cleaning ingredients and all that stuff. You're still being bathed in radiation. And honestly, while we're on the subject of radiation, I don't even like going out in public to the grocery store or something. Because there's a hundred or a thousand phones in the room. Wi-Fi itself is a problem, but I don't want to be in a room with hundreds of microwaves. These phones are all giving off several different frequencies. I know most people don't care about this, but I do. You got the one that looks for the phone service. You can turn on airplane mode and shut that off, but most people don't. Then you got Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. You could turn those off, but most people don't. Most people are walking around with all three of those functions on all the time. And when I go into a mall or a grocery store, it does. It freaks me out. It gets to me immediately. I can feel it immediately. Wow, there's hundreds of phones in this room. I don't know how anyone doesn't feel it. Then you've got fluorescent lights, LEDs, coarse air conditioning, heating, pumping you with positive ions. You're not going to experience these things everywhere you travel, but at most of the places that you have its checkpoints, hotels, airports, and so on, and tourist destinations, they have all these things. They don't care about any of these things. doesn't matter whether you're going to the Colosseum in Rome or the Grand Canyon. You're going to encounter all this Wi-Fi and all these terrible ingredients and all this stuff. And the locals probably don't eat this stuff, by the way. And another thing, if you are just going as a tourist, nobody likes tourists. 
Again, being a tourist is lame. Just take it from me, it's boring. I'd rather travel with a purpose, but it also sucks being in a place that's full of tourists because you know all of the locals don't like you. Yeah, their business might depend on you, but I feel the fake smiles. I don't blame them for doing it. I just know they're just appeasing us. Just give them what they want and get them out of here. We need them, but we don't like them. Nobody likes tourists. You don't have to be a tourist. I have been a tourist. Nowadays, I only travel with a purpose. I'm going to see someone. I'm going to do something. I've been invited somewhere. There's an event, a conference, something like that. And I do want to know people there. I know part of the fun of traveling and the experience of traveling is meeting people you never would have met before and stuff. But I can't be bothered with any of that personally anymore. If I'm going somewhere, I know at least one person there and I have a reason for going. And that allows me to justify all of these sacrifices that I have to make and all of these exposures that I have to have to stuff that I don't want. And hopefully I can stay with them, especially a lot of the people that I know are health conscious already. So I have places all over America, basically, where I can count on getting clean, fresh water, nice, wholesome, organic food, homemade most of the time. We usually don't go to restaurants because healthy people know this stuff. They have me as a guest. We make a nice home-cooked meal. And I can count on them to have way better ingredients than any restaurant. And it's probably going to cost less than the restaurant anyway. I can sleep on their couch or in their guest room. I don't think they've soaked it in chemicals like these other establishments. You might not have these contacts. Well, you might not have a reason to travel. If you don't like where you live, if it's not healthy where you live, work on getting somewhere you want to be. We want to be in Colorado. I'm pulling seven-day weeks in order to do that. And there's mountains and there's lakes and there's all kinds of things that we can do outdoors for free. Most of this tourist stuff you have to pay for too. It's super lame. Be in a place that you love. And if you're not there, start working hard right now so you can get out of your unhealthy environment and get to a healthier environment. You love the beach? Move to the beach. What's stopping you? In 2020, the world proved that most office workers and stuff don't need to be there. We can work from home. We can work remotely. If you're a trade person, plumber, electrician, so on... You can take those skills and go anywhere. If you're an artist, tattooer, whatever, you can travel with these skills. You can move to a new country. You can move to a new state or province. You can move to the ocean if you want. You can set those goals and work towards it. I would rather be in a place that we love so that we don't want to travel. Think about it. If you are dying to go on a vacation, you probably don't like the place you are. Maybe reevaluate that. I like where I live up north in Canada. My wife's in America and this is our compromise. We're going to go to a place that we both like. She doesn't like it up in the desolate north, and I don't really blame her. I live at the edge of civilization. I like that. But I also like Colorado, where I can live kind of just outside of a city and be real close to nature as well. We can have access to the amenities of a city and the benefits of nature. And I'm closing up here, but I recently read a book called The McDonaldization of Society by George Ritzer. And it talked about how everything's basically homogenized together now anyway. You go into a restaurant in Paris, or you go into a restaurant in Berlin, it feels much like America. And they're taking on these same practices. Cheapest, worst ingredients, lame, indistinct service is just boring. I've noticed this too. Went all over the world and realized that much of it is the same stuff, different day, different place. A city's a city. I know New Yorkers think that New York is special and stuff. It's not. A city's a city to me. Suburb's a suburb. A mountain's a mountain. I don't care if it's in Colorado or the Swiss Alps. The beach is the beach. Some beaches are nice, some beaches are not. But most of the countries, especially where you guys are listening, I see the stats. A lot of our countries have all of these different environments to offer. And if you don't like your country, you can leave your country too. But if you don't like the city, you can go to the country. If you don't like the country, you can go to the city. You're not stuck. Taking a vacation just seems silly to me. It just proves that you don't like where you are. And it should be your primary goal to like where you are. It's a big part of life. 
Be happy with what you've got. There's no place like home. You can take it from me or you can spend many thousands of dollars and many, many hours and years traveling around just to learn that same thing. I promise most people come to the same conclusion. There's no place like home. Some people are born to leave. Flee the nest. I was one of those people. I'll never go back to where I'm from if I can help it. But now that I have established a life that I'm okay with, I don't want to travel. As we've gone over, it's annoying. It's expensive. It's uncomfortable. Almost always forget something, forget to bring something I need, so now I'm going to buy something I didn't need to buy. There's almost always something unexpected, something unforeseen, something I didn't plan for, so something I got to spend more money on. Might be a raincoat. Oh, I didn't expect it to rain. Oh, I got to buy a raincoat. Got to buy an umbrella. Oh, I didn't know how far this uh, tourist destination is from my hotel. I thought it would be closer. Oh, I got to rent a car now. So you can see the world if you want, but... In this McDonaldized world, honestly, a lot of it is the same stuff everywhere. It's pretty lame. Don't mean to be so negative, but the positive is that we can get a better home if you want in a better place that you like better and make that your sanctuary. I live in a real crappy house that's leaning over to the side, but I love it and I have made it my own little paradise and we're constantly working to make it better. I can't really improve on any environment if I'm just traveling. You're nobody when you're traveling. You're displaced. You have no control in the environment. You have no ownership, no pride. And if you don't have enough money, if you're not doing well enough now where you're not living the way you want to live, why are you wasting money on travel? Think about it. Consider these things. Take these tips if you are traveling to be healthier best you can on the road, but it is tough. And I do think that's my rant for today. I do appreciate all you guys being here, making it all the way through. Those of you listening on the archive on notusbooks.org, stick around till the very end. Special treat for you. For everybody else, remember once again, you can find everything that I do on notusbooks.org. All my channels, all my books, all the free versions of my books, all my book reviews. Slowly putting more and more in the archive there. Just started adding videos as well. You can support this podcast on Patreon, by the way. You can find that link on notusbooks.org as well. And in the description of this podcast, it does help. We're going to keep doing this regardless, but... Everyone who appears as a guest and helps to edit, they do it for free. We've got a handful of patrons. I do really appreciate it. It does matter. We have no other sources of revenue on this media stuff. We make our living selling supplements, but I put a lot of extra time into making this media content. It would be nice to get paid something for it. All of our monetization has been pulled from YouTube and Spotify and Amazon. Sponsors that I want have rejected us. Sponsors that I don't want, I just block them. I'll never read an ad on here that I don't believe in. Hope you guys appreciate these podcasts that aren't loaded with ads, especially for stuff that harms you. Almost all these ads harm you. The products that do you no good, health-wise. And I do post all of these episodes to Patreon, and actually, usually they show up there first. So if you do want to support, you can support for two bucks or four bucks on Patreon. Me and my team appreciate it big time. And other than that, that's it for now, guys. I appreciate you again. Until next time.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 